Good afternoon, everyone. Tiffany Leonard here, your host of TIFF Totally. Um, so today, like I said, I want to cover the autism spectrum disorder, um, just give a little bit of facts and an overview, some causes, some risk factors, some signs, um, what you can maybe do to help, um, because I struggle with Asperger's, um, and I wasn't diagnosed until I was 20 years old, um, so... I feel like it's really, really important. Um, it's if had I had been diagnosed sooner in life or as a child, I feel like I could have had a better outlook on my life. I also feel like life would have been a little bit more easier for me growing up. I would have had an easier time adapting. Um, so it's just the fact that autism it is very common as well and so just knowing those signs knowing how to deal with it and get help knowing that you definitely are not alone um those things are definitely super important um so i definitely will give a little insight um about what autism is and a little bit about um my life dealing with it and what i've experienced and then I definitely, I, this entire Big Brother season, um, it's already been on now for almost a month, and I haven't talked about it at all. I've had so many other things going on, so I will um, touch base a little bit on Big Brother, and then I also have some more good news that I, well, not I don't know if you want to call it good news, but... Um, I guess things could be looking up um, for things that I've been dealing with. Um, so that is what I will touch base on today. Um, so to, just to get started, um, I'll just kind of generally, I'm looking on, um, this is where I'm doing, I, I did my research and what I'm going to be reading from today if you want to kind of do your own research and reading after the show today. Um, the National Institute of Mental Health website um, has a very good um, place for autism spectrum disorder. So a little bit of an overview of what they say on their site. Um, autism spectrum disorder, also known as ASD, is a developmental disorder that affects communication and behavior. Although autism can be diagnosed at any age, it is said to be a developmental disorder because symptoms generally appear in the first two years of life. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, a guide created by the American Psychiatric Association used to diagnose mental disorders, people with ASD have difficulty with communication and interaction with other people, restricted interests and repetitive behaviors, symptoms that hurt the person's ability to function properly in school, work, and other areas of life. Autism is known as a spectrum disorder because there's a wide variation in the type and severity of symptoms people experience. ASD occurs in all ethnic, racial, and economic groups. Although ASD can be a lifelong disorder, treatments and services can improve a person's symptoms and ability to function. 
The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that all children be screened for autism. All caregivers should talk to their doctor about ASD screening or evaluation. Um, so what's important to know is that yes, it is known as a spectrum because there is many, the, uh, there's people like me with Asperger's that are high functioning and there are um, children and adults that are like, I mean, there's adults that are my age that are literally like children that are, they're nonverbal. Um, I even know some autistic um, people, I know of one um, that was in a wheelchair um, just because it affected their, you know, the way their spectrum was. And I believe that they had something else on top of having autism as well but um, it affected their bones and so they couldn't walk. And so it is very important to know that as autism is a spectrum, no one person that has autism is the same. We are all unique in our own way. So just because like, just because I'm verbal and and pretty, you pretty much, most people would never know that I'm autistic unless I tell them. So, but just because I am who I am, somebody else with Asperger's may be very, very different. Um, I once dated um, a guy with Asperger's and we were very different. Um, he, okay, so I'll use this as an example I don't like motorcycles. They are loud. You know, I, I don't. I don't like them. But I also know that they are on the road. There are people that ride them. It's just, it's a part of everyday life. You have to deal with them, whether they're loud, whether you like them or not. It's just, they are there. You have to deal with it. He literally, we were out one day and a motorcycle came by and he literally just started screaming and cussing and just getting really like anxious because the motorcycle was so loud for him, it triggered him. And while I understand that, you have to realize that when you are out, outside and especially when it's nice weather there are motorcycles and you have to deal with it and I tried to explain that to him and you know and I understand it is it's triggering loud noises are very triggering especially for me um I know it's hard for me to go to like a movie theater or a concert or some, or like some kind of venue where it's very loud. And so I invested in, they were quite expensive, but um, the noise canceling headphones. And I don't even care if I look stupid wearing them, they do help me a lot. And I can still hear. Um, last April, um, I went to the Billy, a Billy Joel concert with my sister and it was at the baseball stadium, and so it was it was pretty loud, but um wearing my headphones, I could still hear the music just fine, but it it really they really helped cancel out all the background background noise, so I couldn't hear a lot of the cheering and clapping and screaming. It was specifically it was like I just had on headphones, and I was just listening to music and so 
that and it really like you know how the music can be really loud and pounding in your ears and your chest I didn't really have to feel that either it really was just like listening to music and while yes that may take away you know some of the enjoyment for me it was very very helpful and I was able to enjoy myself because I felt comfortable um so it's just very important to know that Yes, being a spectrum, it's very broad and very diverse and nobody uh, with autism, I feel, is the same. I've never met anybody that has Asperger's that is very similar to me. In a way, we're all very different. Even some people with Asperger's, and I do, I, I'm not delayed with my speech, but I do... And you probably notice this now, like having quite a few episodes of Tiff Totally, I can kind of stutter a little, just a little bit, or kind of um, stumble a lot on my words, or kind of sound monotonous in my voice. Um, so that's where I kind of struggle with speech. Um, but other than that, I'm not really delayed with my speech, but I have known people um, with Asperger's that are and so it's just very important to know you can and even people that are not on the spectrum like none of us we're all unique in our own way and we cannot compare ourselves to other people we're our own person and so that's especially important to know though with people on the spectrum um, so moving on here um, some signs and symptoms of ASD um, people have difficulty with social communication and interaction, restricted interests, and repetitive behaviors. The list below gives some examples of the types of behaviors that are seen in people diagnosed with ASD. Not all people with ASD will show all behaviors, but most will show several. And so, as I was just saying, um, you know, none of us are the same. Um, and so for social communication and interaction, um, making little or inconsistent eye contact, tending not to look at or listen to people, rarely sharing enjoyment of objects or activities by pointing or showing things to others, failing to or being slow to respond to someone calling their name or to other verbal attempts to gain attention, having difficulties with the back and forth of conversation, often talking at length about a favorite subject without noticing that others are not interested or without giving others a chance to respond, having facial expressions, movements, and gestures that do not match what is being said, having an unusual tone of voice that may sound sing-song or flat and robot-like, having trouble understanding another person's point of view or being unable to predict or understand other people's actions. Um, and so I just want to stop and say reading this, um, and this is kind of how, I, in a way, I kind of diagnosed myself first before I went to a doctor. Reading this, this list to you right now, I read, this is the same list that I read eight years ago and all of it all of it is me I have a hard time making eye contact I don't like to look at people um 
as far as like sharing enjoyment, it depends. Um, but I'd rather do things that I want to do because I feel happier. Um, I struggle to make good conversation. Um, I don't struggle with this anymore. Um, but I used to, when I was younger, I would talk about the same thing. I would always like the earliest I can remember is Paul Abdul. Like I, and I, and I still love Paul Abdul. Like that is never, ever going to change, but I can talk about many, many, many other things now besides, no, you know, and it's like TV shows, whatever. I have so many, my interests now are so broad, but as a child, I just felt like it was all Paul Abdul. Like I was like, that's all I could talk about all day long was just her. I never, like, somehow she had to fit into some kind of conversation. And it's crazy, I know. And I realize how crazy that does sound. But that was one of, and many people pointed that out to my mom. Um, you know, even going younger before Paul Abdul, certain, like, cartoon characters, movies, TV shows, that was it. Like, that's all I would talk about. And people would point that out to my mom and she would kind of just disregard it. And now it's like, I see that now, you know, that as I diagnosed myself and then as a doctor diagnosed me too, as an adult, I look back at my childhood and it's like, I see all of it. You know, I, I hate that I could not get the proper diagnosis when I was a child, because I see that now, instead of like being discouraged, I couldn't help it. And it's just really sad to me that I, I realize this now, and I wish I could have had a more positive outlook um, growing up. Um, and as I, I just mentioned, the unusual tone of voice, um, that flattened robot-like. I, I know I have an awful voice. I realize that. <laughs> and I feel, you know, sometimes I feel so bad. And that's why I said, like, I want to be able to have more people on the show sometimes because listening to my monotonous, awful voice, I, I get it. I'm very sorry. And... I never, you know, I never knew that that was something. I just thought I had an awful voice. Like, but I guess, like, I never can show, like, people, like, in my family, like, at Christmas time or my birthday when I would get presents. And even if it was something I really wanted, I'd never be like, oh, wow, that is so cool. Like, I would just kind of be like, oh, this is nice. Yes, I'm so excited. It's what I wanted. That is exactly, and to this day, that is exactly how I sound. And I realize that, and I know it's annoying, and it's awful. Um, but it's, I, it's just the way it is. And I wish that that didn't have to be that. I wish I had a better sounding voice, but I don't. And gosh, it's so unfortunate. It sucks. Um, and as far as being able to understand other people's points of view, 
Um, I've really, especially being in therapy, I've learned to definitely overcome that, I feel. Um, it, it may be hard to understand some things still, but I feel like I've gotten to a point where I really try to see both sides because I, I want to be a life coach at some point if I'm able. And you have to really understand where people are coming from and why people do the things they do. And kind of the same for me. I want people to understand me and where I'm coming from. And so it kind of works both ways. Um, and so moving on, um, some restrictive and repetitive behaviors, um, repeating certain behaviors or having unusual behaviors. For example, repeating words or phrases, a behavior called echolalia, having a lasting intense interest in certain topics such as numbers, details, or facts, having overly focused interests such as with moving objects or parts of objects, getting upset by slight changes in a routine, being more or less sensitive than other people to sensory inputs such as light, noise, clothing, or temperature. Um, and so I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago, um, a lot of the repetitive behaviors, it's also known as stimming. And it's called stimming because it's a way of self-soothing or self-stimulation. Um, when I was a child, my main thing of stimming was, um, if you've ever seen, um, most of you probably know what they are. If you have seen them, you know, whatever, but, um, cassettes. Okay. And they would come in a, like a plastic case. What I like to do is I take the blank cassette, the case that the cassette came in and I would twirl it back and forth. I liked the feeling of it. I liked looking through it. I liked the sound of it. And that's just the way I kept myself comfortable, just constantly moving and looking at the cassette case. It's the only way that I, I couldn't read without it. I couldn't watch TV without it. I couldn't do anything unless I was jiggling and self-stimming with the cassette case. And that lasted till I was about... Mm, I want to say maybe eight or nine. And then one day in class, uh, I was maybe in second or third grade. I had a pencil and I started, it was a certain length. It was just, a, I don't know. I, I don't know what length it was. I couldn't even do it anymore. And for about two years, I would jiggle the pencil back and forth. And again, that was the only way I could read, concentrate, do anything. Then when I was about maybe sixth grade, and this is what I still do to the day. I still do this. This is something I never stop doing. It has to be like a paper mate or Bic pen with a, um, it has to have a certain amount, a certain cap on it um, to feel comfortable and for me to do this. And I twirl, I just rub the pen, like between my fingers. I, I, it's hard for me to demonstrate and kind of describe it without me visual, actually uh, visually doing it. But I just kind of hold it in my dominant hand, which is my left hand. And I like kind of rub with my right, 
hold it in between my fingers and just kind of go back and forth with it. Um, and I just, I can kind of discreetly do it underneath my chair or whatever, but it's, that's just what I do still, um, to this day at 28 years old. I've been doing it now since I was about 12 years old and that is my way of stimming and this self-stimulation to feel comfortable and just, it helps me concentrate and, we don't know why we do it, but that's, it's just, it's kind of like a sensory thing, I guess, um, just to help us feel comfortable. Um, so I hate having changes in my routine. Like I really, I don't really have a daily routine, but if I have an appointment or I know something specific is supposed to happen on that day, it needs to happen. If it doesn't, I get super pissed off, like my whole day is ruined. It's, And I know sometimes we cannot help that, but it's totally different for somebody that has a mind like mine. It's, it's a totally big deal, even though it's not. So it's really, it's hard to understand, I guess. It, it's shouldn't be a big deal, but it is. Um, and then again, with the sensory things, um, you know, I'm sensitive to bright, I hate bright lights. I like to sit in the dark. Um, I prefer things to be very dim lit. Um, I can't do flashing lights like the strobe lights. That's just, I get a headache and I can go into sensory overload. Um, no loud noises. Um, clothing that's hard um okay the mask um that definitely would be one with my sensory um so you know obviously dealing with the certain types of masks um you know my mesh mask I've been doing fine with it I've been getting into stores I haven't had an issue um I do have another one though I think I mentioned um it's like the foam, a very, very, very light foam. And I wear that when I go um, see my mom because where she lives, it's required to have a mask. And so um, that's the only time I use that one. Any other time I use the mesh one, I feel comfortable with it. And that's just how it is. And period, end of story. Um, temperature. Oh, yeah, definitely. I have to be cool. I cannot be hot. Yesterday, it was like nearly 100 degrees. And it's finally cooled off to like the low 80s now, which it, it's a big difference. But I cannot be hot. I was out yesterday and I, I seemed fine until after a while it got to be too much and my body was just aching and I was like starting to panic and I was super sweaty. My heart was racing, my back was hurting and a lot of that has to do um, with um, like because I have arthritis um, and so it's a lot of other things too, but hot weather, usually for people, it's cold weather. For me, it is hot weather. I cannot tolerate the heat. I have to be in air condition. I have to be in cool and I can function just fine. My air conditioner in my house is set at like 63, 64 degrees all the time. Like if you're coming over to my house and you're going to be freezing, 
then you better be wearing a sweater, a jacket, whatever you got to do, because um, I am not setting the air conditioner to a comfortable temperature for you. So um, I, I love it cold. Cold weather kind of sucks um, when it's cold outside, but I would rather deal with the cold than the summer heat. I, it's just, it's insufferable. Now when it's like 60s, 70s, and there's like a cool lake breeze or something, um, that, that is fine. Um, then I don't mind the sunshine so much, but otherwise I, I cannot tolerate the heat at all. So, um, that is where I stand with that stuff. Um, but also, it says here, um, a lot of people with ASD may also experience sleep problems and irritability. Although people with ASD experience many challenges, they may also have many strengths, including being able to learn things in detail and remember information for long periods of time, being strong visual and auditory learners, excelling in math, science, music, or art. Um, so for me, I do have insomnia. Um, I take medicine for it. I've been taking medicine for it since I was 14. Um, when I was younger, I would never sleep. Literally, I just, I have to take medication or I, I cannot sleep. So I do have insomnia. Um, I'm, I am not an auditory learner. I am a visual learner. I have to visually see things to understand it. Um, so I'm kind of the opposite with the auditory. I, I'm not good with listening. I can listen, but I have to have a visual. Um, and math is not my strong suit, but anything else, um, I'm pretty good with science. Depends on the topic. Um, I'm not so good with art. I'm not really interested in it. Um, but music, that we know is my strong suit. Like music um, and the pop culture with TV, um, that's where I excel. Um, so, yeah, it's we have our many, many strengths in remembering things and being interested in it. And we can tell you, we could write a book on it. Um, and that's, I think, incredible for... Um, a lot of us um, on the spectrum is because we literally could write you a book on things that interest us. Um, so moving on to some causes and risk factors. Um, while scientists don't know the exact causes of ASD, research suggests that genes connect together with influences from the environment to affect development in ways that lead to ASD. Although scientists are still trying to understand why some people develop ASD and others don't, some risk factors include having a sibling with ASD, having older parents, having certain genetic conditions, people with conditions such as Down syndrome, Fragile X syndrome, and Rett syndrome are more likely than others to have ASD and a very low birth weight. Um, and so... My sister doesn't have ASD, but her son does. Um, so, like I said, my nephew, um, he's probably, him and I are, you know, we are alike in so many ways. And, you know, my my sister 
was able to see a lot of the things in him that she saw in me. Um, so I hate that my nephew has to grow up having autism, but I'm here to help him. And I feel I, it makes me feel comfortable and good to know that I can be here to help him through anything. Um, because we're kind of similar with that aspect. Um, Older parents, um, I guess these days you'd have to define older parents. Um, my mom, I guess nowadays, and especially, well, not so back then, but nowadays, my mom was 34 when she had me. So one more year and she would have been considered a geriatric pregnancy. After uh if you're 35 and older and you're considered a high risk because you're too old to have a baby at 35 years old, I know. So I feel like some people would tell me at 28 that I'm oh, too old to have a baby. Like, and, and I know I'm not, but you these days you really have to define older parents. And I think they mean obviously the geriatric pregnancy. So 35 and older, um, to me, 35, between like 35 and 38 to me is ridiculous. Like 39, eh, yeah, you know, I mean, above 40 is where I'm like, okay, having older parents, then that's where, you know, I could see that. Um, my sister was 33 when she had my nephew, so, um that's, you know, considered old these days, but it's not to me. Um, so definitely, um, that could have been a factor for me. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, because I, as far as I know, my parents don't have any kind of genetic conditions and I, what I didn't have a low birth weight. I was seven pounds, 14 ounces. So, I, uh, none of that applies to me. And so just somewhere in my genetics and my DNA, something in there did not mix and hard to say. Um, so going on for a diagnosis, um, doctors diagnose ASD by looking at a person's behavior and development. ASD can usually be reliably diagnosed by the age of two. It is important for those with concerns to seek out assessment as soon as possible so that a diagnosis can be made and treatment can begin. Diagnosis in young children. Diagnosis in young children is often a two-stage process. Stage one, general development screening during well-child checkups. Every child should receive well-child checkups with a pediatrician or an early childhood health care provider. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that all children be screened for developmental delays at their 9, 18, and 24 or 30-month well-child visits, and specifically for autism at their 18 and 24-month well-child visits. Additional screening might be needed if a child is at high risk for ASD or developmental problems. 
Those at high risk include children who have a family member with ASD, have some ASD behaviors, having older parents, have certain genetic conditions, or who were bo born at a very low birth weight. Um, parents' experiences and concerns are very important in the screening process for young children. Sometimes the doctor will ask parents questions about the child's behaviors and combine those answers with info from ASD screening tools and with his or her observa observations of the child. Um, if you want to learn more about screening instruments and what they do, you can visit the website for Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they have information there. Um, and this goes into the second stage of evaluation. Um, this evaluation is done with a team of doctors and other health professionals who are experienced in diagnosing ASD. Um, the team can include a developmental pediatrician, a child psychologist and or child psychiatrist, a neuropsychologist, a speech-language pathologist, and the evaluation assesses cognitive level or thinking skills, language abilities, age-appropriate skills needed to complete daily activities independently, such as eating, dressing, and going to the toilet. Because ASD is a complex disorder that sometimes occurs along with other illnesses or learning disorders, the comprehensive evaluation may include a blood test and hearing test. The outcome of the evalu excuse me, evaluation will result in a formal diagnosis and recommendations for treatment. Um, and so now moving on to diagnosis in older children and adolescents, which would have referred... Um, well, they do have a diagnosis for adults as well, but this is when I started discovering. Um, so symptoms in older children and adolescents who attend school are often first recognized by parents and teachers and then evaluated by the school special education team. The school's team may perform an initial evaluation and then recommend these children visit their primary health care doctor or doctors who specialize in ASD for additional testing. Parents may talk with these specialists about their child's social difficulties, including problems with subtle communication. These subtle communication issues may include problems understanding tone of voice, facial expressions, or body language. Older children and adolescents may have trouble understanding figures of speech, humor, or sarcasm. Parents may also find that their child has trouble forming friendships with peers. Um, so that, that was really me in school. But then diagnosis for adults, which would have been me. Um, diagnosing ASD in adults is often more difficult than diagnosing ASD in children. In adults, some ASD symptoms can overlap with symptoms of other mental health disorders, such as anxiety or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which was the problem with me because I do have anxiety and depression. Um, adults who notice the signs and symptoms of ASD should talk with a doctor and ask for a referral for an ASD evaluation. 
While testing for ASD in adults is still being refined, adults can be referred to a neuropsychologist, psychologist, or psychiatrist who has experience with ASD. The expert will ask about concerns such as social interaction and communication challenges, sensory issues, repetitive behaviors, restricted interests. Information about the adult's developmental history will help in making an accurate diagnosis, so an ASD evaluation may include talking with parents or other family members. Getting a correct diagnosis of ASD as an adult can help a person understand past difficulties, identify his or her strengths, and obtain the right kind of help. Studies are now underway to determine the types of services and supports that are most helpful for improving the functioning and community integration of transition age youth and adults with ASD. So, yes, it, it, like I said, it has helped me um, learn about my past and why I was the way I was, um, but it's just... I wish I could have known when I was younger. Um, so there has been a few changes to the diagnosis, diagnosis of ASD. Um, in 2013, the DSM was released, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This revision changed the way autism is classified and diagnosed. Using the previous version of the DSM, people could be diagnosed with one of several separate conditions, autistic disorder, Asperger syndrome, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, known as PDD-NOS, which is where I was mentioning the Rett syndrome. Um, in the current revised version of the DSM, these separate conditions have been combined into one diagnosis called Autism Spectrum Disorder. Using the DSM-5, for example, people who were previously diagnosed as having Asperger's Syndrome would now be diagnosed as having Autism Spectrum Disorder. Although the official diagnosis of ASD has changed, there is nothing wrong with continuing to use terms such as Asperger's Syndrome to describe oneself or to identify with a peer group. And I just use it as that, or I say high-functioning, uh, just because it is easier, and I never really knew of the classifications. I've always known as, like, high-functioning autism or low-functioning autism. Asperger's, I didn't hear about until I was diagnosed. And so um, I just kind of go and say I'm, I have Asperger's, I'm high-functioning is kind of how I use it for myself. Um, so for some treatments and therapies, um, it should begin as soon as possible after diagnosis. Early treatment for ASD is important as proper care can reduce individuals' difficulties while helping them learn new skills and make the most of their strengths. The wide range of issues facing people with ASD means that there is no single best treatment for ASD. Working closely with a doctor or healthcare professional is an important part of finding the right treatment program. And really that is all it's about, is finding the right doctors um, that are best suitable for your needs. Because, you know, there's some doctors that just aren't as sympathetic as others. And you just, you have to find the right kinds of doctors um, that are understanding to your needs.
And that's really the most helpful way for any of us. Um, For medication, a doctor may use medication to treat some symptoms that are common with ASD. With medication, a person with ASD may have fewer problems with irritability, aggression, repetitive behavior, hyperactivity, attention problems, anxiety, and depression. Um, If you'd like more information on medication warnings or medication guides, you can visit the Food and Drug Administration's website um, at FDA.gov. I'm on a few medications, mostly for depression and anxiety and then for my insomnia as well. And so it's different for everybody, different doses are different for everybody. I've had to switch medications quite a few times throughout my life to find what works. So um, just discussing that with your doctor and monitoring behaviors and how you're feeling is definitely important. Um, Behavioral, psychological, and educational therapy People with ASD may be referred to doctors who specialize in providing behavioral, psychological, educational, or skill-building interventions. These programs are typically highly structured and intensive and may involve parents, siblings, and other family members. Programs may help people with ASD learn life skills necessary to live independently, reduce challenging behaviors, increase or build upon strengths, learn social communication and language skills. Um, And so just me being in therapy, I'm mostly learning to live independently, um, how I can maybe better um, myself in relationships, whether it's friendships or, you know, romantically, or how I can better communicate with people um, and help myself fit in and um, how I can better understand other people's point of views. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at um, with my therapies. Um, As for my behaviors, as I've gotten older, they've kind of become less and less, and so that hasn't really been a huge deal. Um, It's more psychologically and with the communicating is where I struggle. Um... So other resources, Um, there are many social service programs and resources that can help people with ASD. Here's some tips for finding these. Um, You can contact your doctor, local health department, school, or autism advocacy group to learn about special programs or local resources. Find an autism group. Sharing information and experiences can help individuals with ASD and or their caregivers learn about treatment options and ASD-related programs. Record conversations and meetings with healthcare providers and teachers. This information can help when it's time to make decisions about which programs might best meet an individual's needs. Keep your copies of doctor's reports and evaluations. This information may help an individual qualify for special programs. Um, I went to one group, and it wasn't for me. I just didn't feel like I fit in. Um, And it's hard, especially now during COVID, it's hard to find any kind of group. Um, But for me to also go consistently is very difficult. And so I... um, I haven't really looked into going into any groups. Maybe 
you know, a couple years from now when there's no more COVID or whatever, I might, but I just didn't really feel, it's not that I didn't feel welcome, I just didn't feel like the groups were for me, um, it just wasn't my thing, um, so it's really just, I know it's people like me and people that would understand, but I just didn't feel like I wanted to go to them anymore, I guess. Um, and so it's just, for me, I want to, I, I want to fit in not just with people that are on the spectrum, but I want to fit in with everybody. I kind of want to feel like I can fit in with any group of people, like no matter whether they're lower functioning than me on the spectrum like I am, not on the spectrum. I just want to feel like I can fit in with all walks of people. Um, and so that's why I kind of felt like in a way the group wasn't necessarily beneficial. And a lot of the people in the group had supportive family. They were diagnosed as children. I didn't have that and I don't really have that. And so I kind of felt like in a way I couldn't fit in that way. I felt I felt really like left out because they were diagnosed as children and like had supportive parents and I just didn't feel like I could relate to that and you know being diagnosed as an adult I guess had I been diagnosed as a child and knew what my issue with loud noises were maybe it'd be different and I feel I would feel like I could relate more but I guess it's just different for me and that's why I just didn't feel like I fit into the group and so maybe in the future I will try a different group but you know at this point I just I want to try and fit in with everybody and not just one specific group of people even though it can help me understand I just feel like in a way it can't because I just feel like my way of life and the way I was raised was totally different um and so I just feel like that it wasn't really for me um so that's just my experience um pretty much you know with ASD um just some information that I thought I'd share um just to have a better understanding of course you can always do your own kind of research through Google whatever um you know and I really you know I'm always open to questions but I really feel like that it's like I said no one person is the same um being you know having disabilities being on the autism spectrum you know none of us are the same and so any I can give advice of how I think and feel but you know somebody else may give something different or say something different because they feel differently or had a different kind of experience. And so 
you know, it's going to like vary from person to person. So I guess you just have to keep in mind that none of us are the same. We all could say and feel different things and you're going to get a wide, I feel like you're going to get a, when it comes to autism, especially, you're going to get a wide variety of advice, which isn't necessarily a bad thing to have handy, but you may, it may take some time before you find the right answer that you're looking for. Um, because it's just, it's different for everybody. Um, so, um, I'm always willing to talk more about my thoughts and feelings, um, how I was growing up, whatever. Um, but that's just pretty much the basis of it and what I've dealt with. And, you know, being an adult, it's, it's, it's hard when you, you can't go back and change your childhood and change the past. And so I kind of have to learn to just think, oh, wow, this sucks, but I can't go back and change it. And so it's kind of dealing with it and moving on and doing what I can for myself now in my life um, and helping other people so they can feel like they have the support that I didn't have if they need it. Um, so, you know, it's just... It's it's all about having a good support system, really. You know, I really, now I have professionals that I work with, but I really only have myself. And so being your own cheerleader, I to me, that's like the best support you could ever have is being your own cheerleader and learning to believe in yourself. Because, you know, you're your own person, you're living your life, and you really have to, you know, be there for yourself and believe in yourself, because nobody else can really do it. Now, having the support of others is great, but being your own cheerleader is, like, my best advice. Um, honestly, it's made all the difference for me. So, um, you know, it, it, it can be difficult, but at the same time, it's also I've learned to just really deal with it. I know what makes me comfortable, and I do what I do to make myself happy and comfortable and get through life. Um, and so, all right. So, for my news, um, so, you know, dealing with this neighbor and everything, you know, we're still kind of working on that. I'm still helping my landlord through the whole eviction process. But um, yesterday, um, so I'm making, trying to make phone calls and getting this, you know, um, restraining order um, in place. Um, so I'm kind of amazed at this because... It's taken me like two weeks of making phone calls and leaving messages. Um, finally, yesterday morning, somebody from the Milwaukee courts called me and she fi helped me file m the restraining order electronically because everything has to be, you know, electronically right now. Um, so she did that. And, you know, I asked a couple questions. I asked how long it could take, you know, what it kind of details, um, you know, and she said, well, because she called me early, she called me about eight o'clock in the morning and she said, well, you know, if the courts get to looking at it today is she could be served today. So 
you know, I didn't expect any, I didn't, I wasn't really expecting anything. Um, so she filed it. I looked online, saw that it was filed, approved by the judge. Um, I happened to be sitting outside about 4.30, quarter to 5, talking with my friend, and I seen the sheriff's pull up. And so she was served yesterday. Um, so restraining order is now in place. Um, because it's, a t she's still going to be getting evicted, but it's a tough situation because we are in the same building. Um, like let's say if I step outside and she's there, it's just a matter of us ignoring each other, not acknowledging each other, not talking to each other and not bothering each other. Um, so that's how that has to work for now. Um, if she talks to me, looks at me, leaves me notes, calls, text messages, anything, and I can call the police and she will be arrested. And so yesterday when she got served, I was scared. I, I was like, I even told that to the sheriff. So I'm like, wow, I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't expect to know really when she got served. Like, I know I'm supposed to feel safer with this, but at that point in time, I didn't. I felt scared because when somebody's mentally ill, you never know what's going to happen. So I felt really, really scared. But you know what? After the fact, you know, talking with my friend and just kind of going on living my life, watching TV last night, and it was peaceful. It was very, very peaceful yesterday. I kind of feel like that this was her wake-up call, in a way. Um, she did not do any kind of screaming, banging, playing music, nothing last night. It was just so peaceful, and I slept so well. I, I, I can't remember the last time I slept, like, so well and peacefully, like, it, to the point where it felt so good. And so, and it's still... Even today, it's like day two, no music, no banging, no screaming. It's just super peaceful. And, you know, after the sheriff's left yesterday, I was still sitting outside, and they said after they served her, she she cried. And, you know, I don't, I don't have any remorse. And I'll, I'll tell you why. And it's not because I, I, I'm a mean person. I had remorse at first. You know, there was instances before where we've had a problem with her. And she's apologized profusely. Oh, let me know. I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, I don't want to be this type of person. And nothing changed. And it's just continually gotten worse over the years. And now I'm at that point where don't apologize and not make a change. You know, get yourself help. Because I know what it's like to be mentally ill. I really do. I understand. But at the same time, you cannot apologize and say you're sorry and you want to make a change and you don't. And so I, I really have no remorse. It is what it is. And so I just, 
I'm, I'm glad she served. I'm glad I feel like I can feel safe now and that I'm feeling pretty good about it. So, um, so I'm hitting my 60 minute, uh, recording mark. Um, so I, I will make an episode tomorrow to give more updates on this and talk big brother. Um, I didn't realize I can only make hour long episodes. So, um, join me tomorrow. Um, and I will talk a little bit more in depth about this and we will talk big brother. Um, I hope my episode today, um, about autism kind of helped you give a little more insight, a little bit more understanding, um, and insight into what, you know, we deal with and what life with autism is like. It's definitely not easy, but you know, we make the best of it. Um, so thank you for joining me today. Please join me tomorrow. Until then, as always, remember, be kind to each other, take care of yourselves, and I will see you tomorrow. Bye.